Hello and welcome to another edition of Cloud9Fin, where we explore everything related to corporate debt and leverage finance. I'm your host, David Bell, and today I'm joined by Dan Coe, a Senior Principal and Portfolio Manager at Eagle Point Credit Management. Welcome, Dan. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. So Eagle Point Credit Management has around $7.5 billion of AUM, focusing mainly on investing in CLO equity. But the firm's also been one of the more vocal market participants in the debate over the loan market's transition from LIBOR to SOFA, which has become an increasingly contentious one in recent months. But before we get too deep into that, let's take a step back. Dan, we're just over a week away from the LIBOR deadline on June 30th. How ready are the loan and CLO markets for this? I mean, I hope we're ready because, um, like you said, we're about a little over a week away um, as of June 30th. And we know that last week um, it seemed that most were coming through with their CSA amendment. So I guess maybe to back up, we're moving from LIBOR to SOFR. LIBOR is typically an unsecured rate, whereas SOFR, um, is a secured rate. So there's clearly a basis between those two rates where LIBOR is higher than SOFR due to the security, unsecured versus secured. Um, due to that, as we're moving to LIBOR and SOFR, there needs to be kind of a credit spread adjustment that's added to the SOFR rate to compensate kind of lenders accordingly, given that we're, we're basing, I guess, the base rate off the secured rate. So CSAs were, were, were kind of... Um, uh, uh, introduced or uh, and recommended by kind of the ARC committee that it should be roughly 26 basis points for kind of a three-month tenor. And so um, we got into all this kind of, um, uh, of an, uh, I guess, a debate as to kind of uh, what the right number should be. A lot of private equity firms and, and loan issuers try to push for zero or 10 basis point CSAs, but that's clearly not enough to kind of compensate uh, lenders for the for, for the change in base rate. And so uh, we at Eagle Point really pushed for the ARC recommended numbers. So we weren't trying to get a, a windfall from this kind of regulatory change, but we wanted just kind of a level playing field, whereas kind of some of these private equity firms and uh, issuers and sponsors were trying to get a windfall from this, this regulatory change. Um, now, fast forward to, to, to today, um, because we are about uh, you know we a little over a week away from the deadline, and you know, for a lot of these loans, I think to the extent that you aren't able to switch over to SOFR, I think the fallback for a lot of them could become the prime rate, which obviously is an exceedingly kind of onerous rate if if you go to prime. And so now a lot of these CSA amendments are just coming out with the ARC recommended level so that they don't get pushed back. And then um, if, if for, for for example you're not able to get that consent then you know, you'll see kind of your loan payoff of prime, which obviously is, is not favorable to, to the issuers. Right. How substantial is that risk relative to the overall loan market of amendments that missed the cutoff or companies that you know, might end up having to switch to the prime rate? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, it's hard to tell because I guess we don't have, we don't see all the loans out there, but, you know, as of kind of like the beginning of the month or so, it was about 50% of the market still had, uh, still had to be, um, I guess, transitioned to, to SOFR. So, um, you know, we know that um, there were a, a slew of, uh, of amendments last week. Again, most of the 80% or so were at ARC. So, um, I think most people have realized that, you know, we're, we're at kind of the deadline. There's no kind of 
gaming where you can try to get a lower CSA. And if you, you get that, if you get, um, you get rejected by the lenders, then, you know, you, you have that potential prime rate that you need to pay. So I think uh, most people are just putting up the ARC um, as the recommended CSA, as a proposed CSA. And um, we'll see a large part, if not all, of the market kind of transition, I guess, in the next couple of days, because, um, you know, I guess the downside is that you're paying the prime rate, which obviously is not very attractive in a high rate environment like today. Got it. And can you give us a bit of background on why this is such an important issue for CLO equity investors in particular? Um, because, you know, you're seeing the transition on on the loan side, but also uh clo debt investors are pushing for their own csas right yeah i mean so on the clo debt side it's pretty straightforward the clo market accepted the 26 basis points as the csa for clo debt so there hasn't really been much of a a fight there um i think it's been pretty orderly in fact um and, and so on the on the asset side of the seal on the loan kind of underlying loan market um, obviously, if the, the 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 CSA ends up not being 26, then the CLO equity investors, you know, who 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 receive kind of the excess spread or the residual from a CLO, will be squeezed, right? You're paying 26 out to the debt, and if you're not getting 26 in kind on the asset side, then you know that's really coming out of your pocket, and that's why, you know, we were very focused on it early on, kind of in in starting at the beginning of the year when. We heard that a lot of these CLO managers were 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 accepting kind of um, lower CSAs, and that came straight out of our pocket. And really, um, you know, felt like they weren't doing their fiduciary duty to really um, kind of uh, maximize kind of returns for their equity investors, and kind of um, you know were more focused on kind of maintaining their relationships, or it felt like you know they were being bullied by the financial sponsors and and the banks. To accept something lower and so it wasn't really until we as the equity investor community a clo equity investor community kind of stepped up and kind of put them on notice that we were focused on this we're watching this and that um it, you know if they, they don't really act then you know it comes out of our pocket and that could mean that in the future we're going to be less willing to do uh transactions with those clo collateral managers right i mean there's 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 loads of stakeholders in this debate like you say across across borrowers, sponsors, loan investors, and, and in CLO structures. And, you know, clearly the, the incentives are not aligned. So I'm just curious, when you started pushing back on on this, how contentious has this debate been since you started pushing back? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for the CLO collateral managers to, to really fight against us. Um, and I think for some of them, it felt like they were, it was an uphill battle in that, the, the sponsors and the issuers and the banks were telling them, oh, you're the only one that's, you know, not uh, agreeing to the lower CSA, even if that wasn't the case. And so now that they know that other collateral managers are also putting up a fight or putting up saying no to a non-ARC uh, CSA, it kind of helps them to, to, I guess, feel confident that they're not the only ones. And so I think it was really favorably received by the collateral managers. And, you know, there were numerous of them that really thanked me for, of getting the CLO equity com community really focused on this so that um, both the CLO equity community, the CLO collateral manager community could really push back and again, just be compensated fairly for moving from LIBOR to SOFR. Again, this is, we weren't looking for a windfall. You know, we just wanted to keep kind of a level playing field. Right. And were there any other ways that you saw banks or sponsors trying to slip amendments through without a CSA in line with, with ARC? 
Yeah, I mean, so uh, I mean, the, the, a lot of them would kind of put out these amendments, kind of the you know, Friday, five, Friday at five p.m. before a long weekend, you know, right. so and to 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 hope that a lot of the lenders would miss the amendments coming out, or they would put it on not the Intralinks website, but some other website where it was hard to access, so that people didn't know that the amendment was around. And so, you know, we had a working group that ensured that if one person saw the amendment and it wasn't an ARC recommended CSA that we kind of reach out to the various different CLO equity investors and CLO collateral managers to make sure that people were aware that it was out there. Um, and others have used, tried to use some other loopholes, but I think that, that that's, that is very much closed um, because you know, people have realized that CLOs, which are, you know, 60% of the loan market, um, if CLOs are focused on it, then um, you'll need them to kind of not object in order to um, get the amendment across. Okay. So as you say, CLOs, some 60% of the loan market, um, and it's such a big driver of, of what we see on the, the primary side in the loan market. So what's your your view on the, the current state of CLO formation at the moment? And how do you do you see things progressing in the second half? Yeah, I mean, um, if we look at at least the first quarter, we haven't counted the numbers for the second quarter yet, but for the first quarter, um, it seemed that 85% or so of the new issue CLO formation was driven by captive funds. So what are captive funds? These are uh, pools of capital that the CLO collateral manager uh, kind of uh, manages or controls, and that equity capital is used to create new CLOs. Um, you know, the, the the downside of that is that the collateral manager kind of puts very little skin in the game into those funds, and you know there's clearly an agency problem there, as you know they're um, using that equity capital to do new deals or new CLOs, and then doing new CLOs has the benefit of turning on, I guess, the management fee stream for them. So. Um, all things equal, they're probably not going to wait uh, for the last basis point, or they're not going to necessarily care about the economic returns to the equity because um, they're probably more focused on kind of creating management fee streams, which obviously that their bosses like it. So we've seen um, just a, 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 a real conflict of interest uh, within these captive funds. And so um, you know, we as third party CLO equity investors, you know, so we don't have, we're just only going to do the economic deals or economic CLOs. And so, um, you know, we were pretty much not doing any new issue CLOs um, since kind of middle of last year, because we thought that secondary was way more um, attractive, you know, to the tune of, you know, 800 to 1000 basis points of additional return to buy in the secondary market uh, versus uh, uh, the new issue or primary market. So it's hard for us to really fathom kind of why people would be doing new issue CLOs unless it's really captive funds or if there's some other kind of dynamic that we're unaware of, but we continue to believe that secondary is very attractive. But that being said, there are these captive uh, funds that are out there that are doing new issue CLOs. And so, I mean, the market has continued to, to, to hum, hum on by and, you know, issuance is kind of at roughly the pace that we saw kind of last year and headed towards another hundred billion plus sort of issuance year. Right. Okay. Um, and, and while CLO formation uh, hasn't been that that great to start the year, we've we've seen more borrowers in the Levfin market choosing to print secured high yield bonds, or or maybe going to direct lenders instead of issuing loans. So, how do you see this impacting CLO formation going forward? 
Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think maybe the question really is to look at what what it's done to loan prices, really, in that uh, I think despite some of the, the volatility um, it, that, that we've seen in the overall kind of markets, we've seen loan prices kind of really hold up, uh, relatively speaking. And some of that is because um, usually uh, like CLO creation is about 60% of the actual new issue loan volume that we see. So new issue CLO is roughly 60% of new issue loan volume. But this year, it's somewhat flipped where we've seen new issue loan volume, and I'm talking about true new issue, not refinancings or, or where, where you're extending a loan, but rather new issue, true new issue volume has been about 50% of uh, new issue CLO creation. So um, it's really the first time in a while that I can remember where CLO creation has um, uh, outpaced uh, new issue loan creation volumes. And so I think because of that, that's keeping uh, loan prices fairly um, robust or at, at higher levels than I had would have anticipated, and then you 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 cite obviously um, you know, companies or issuers going to the high yield bond market or the direct lending market on top of that, and so it keeps kind of supply fairly low, and so I think that that's helped uh, support I guess loan prices. And one of the trends that that keeps coming up in conversations at the moment when it comes to the loan primary is the difficulties that. Uh, CLOs are having because of exiting their reinvestment period, which is making it harder for them to to roll into a new loan or a refinancing. Could you tell us a bit more about what this reinvestment period means and and how it affects a CLO manager's ability to to manage their portfolio? Sure. So, I mean, uh, nearly all CLOs have kind of a reinvestment period when they start. I mean, that they have the collateral manager has an ability to kind of buy and sell loans, replenish. Um, the loans in the underlying portfolio to the extent that there are prepayments. And, and so reinvestment periods, uh, all things equal, are good for CLOs. I mean, that's the reason why they were able to sustain the 0809, the 2020 COVID um, cycles, because uh, despite there being losses and defaults, they were able to buy loans at a very cheap price that ultimately ended up kind of um, outweighing the losses that were taken during those periods. So if you look kind of back to 08, 09, you look back to 2020, CLOs actually came out better than they did going into those downturns. And so um, what's important here is, as you noted, um, an increasing number of CLOs are exiting their reinvestment period. By the end of 2023, we estimate that roughly 40% of the CLO market will be outside of its reinvestment period. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that the collateral managers cannot rotate their portfolios, but it becomes exceedingly harder to do so um, at the a, after the the reinvestment period has ended, and so that makes it tougher for CLOs uh, to buy some of the newer loans. I think that's also kind of a maybe a, a helpful, given the fact that uh, as I mentioned before, you know there has been limited supply of loans, but you're taking away a good chunk of that demand base since CLOs, uh, 40% of CLOs will be outside of its reinvestment period. And so that should lead to actually kind of more attractive uh, discounted purchases for the CLOs that are reinvesting. And so we at Eagle Point, um, as one of the kind of the largest CLO equity investors out there, um, if not the largest, our focus is always to have as long of a remaining reinvestment period within our portfolio as possible so that we can take advantage advantage of dislocations uh, like today. Right. And, and the other thing um, I wanted to, to briefly touch on is just on 
portfolio performance because we're seeing rising defaults as companies struggle with higher interest costs, as well as weaker recovery rates when companies do end up restructuring, at least compared with, with previous cycles. So how concerned are you at Eagle Point about portfolio performance at the moment? Yeah, I mean, um, of course, we are concerned about our portfolios. Um, you know, we do see more defaults coming ahead. We see more downgrades coming ahead. But um, the, I guess the counter to that is really, um, do you have remaining reinvestment period within um, your CLO equity portfolio? And for us, you know, we do. Um, we, we typically haven't really invested in static CLOs where, you know, there is no reinvestment period because it's pretty much a bottoms up sort of loss um, uh, investment. This is why a lot of the other securitizations like RMBS, CMBS, kind of during 0809 did not do too well because those took large losses, and you know that really hit the equity, um, and, and even up to the triple A's in some securitizations. Whereas for CLOs, no triple A AA or double A ever took a loss. Even the junior mezzanine um, double B class, which is right above the equity, I think historically over the past kind of 25 years or so has had five basis points of annual defaults, um, you know, per year, you know, so it, it's, it's a pretty uh, misunderstood asset class, um, in my opinion. Um, and despite the performance that we've seen, um, you know, we, we do think it's a, it's an interesting uh, time to be investing in CLO equity. Again, you know, these are the times where we can take advantage of discounted prices um, within the loans because we have non-mark to market financing in the CLOs, like the, there is no kind of concept of a margin call within CLOs, just because prices have gone down, our financing terms have not changed. And we've got kind of long term non mark to market financing. So, you know, this is the time for us to be really capitalizing on that and, and buying loans at these, uh, at, at these favorable and attractive prices. Great. Well, okay, that's all we have time for this week. Dan, thank you so much for joining us on cloud nine fin to share your insights. Tune in next week where we will be back with our European team. Until then, take care and thanks for listening.